0: Hey, welcome to our online service this morning. Isn't it just amazing? I thank God that we can be in lockdown and yet still connect as community via technology. If you're a one hoper, I want to say thanks for coming and and joining us this morning. It's so good as ever to be together. And if you're not a one hoper and just joining us, you're so welcome. It's good to have you along as well. I want to do a study this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, but before I do that, I want to I want to make two statements. I don't think either of them are, are controversial. Um, and I think you'd agree with me. The first one is this. I think all around the world right now, there's a shaking. It feels like everything is up in the air and shaking. And what we thought was certain is not so certain. And what we thought we could take to the bank, we can't quite take to the bank. And so maybe that shaking for you has taken the form of a business and You're an entrepreneur and you might be struggling to think what it's going to look like in the weeks to come. Or it might be your investments which have suddenly taken a a significant knock in the last few weeks. Or it might just be that you're concerned about your health or another whole bunch of reasons it could be. But, But whatever it is, I think we'd all agree that right now in our hearts, there's a shaking going on. The second statement is this, that when shaking happens, it touches our faith. And I don't just mean religious faith. I mean, everything that we place our hope in, everything that we place our trust in, because even Christ followers, if we're honest, will often pay lip service with our mouths that our trust is in God. But when our finances or our house or our business is affected and touched, we realize that far more of our trust and our hope has been placed in there than we would care to admit. So whatever it is that is making you anxious or creating this shaking we're becoming aware of whether or not that thing is of eternal value and whether or not it can deliver on what it promised us can it give us the security that it promised us or the retirement annuity or the bank account or whatever it may be can it give us the hope and the trust that we had placed in it and as difficult as it may be right now I want to go out on a limb here and say that from a personal point of view, when things are shaken in our lives, it's a good thing. It's a gift of God to us that we, while we are still this side of heaven, realize what has eternal value and what needs to be shaken. And as it's shaken, it forces us to turn our eyes back onto God and say, Lord, teach me again why your kingdom is the only unshakable kingdom. Teach me again why I never want to place my trust in my wealth, in my business, in my home, in my health, in my family, in whatever it may be. And so the the incredibly good news for us when we feel this shaking going on in the world, whether we follow Christ or not, the incredible good news is that God's word gives us another option. We don't have to place our trust in these shakable systems. No, it tells us about an unshakable kingdom. That will last forever and ever and ever. And that's incredibly good news. And so as we come to God's word, last week we spoke about an unshakable God. You can get that on YouTube, Psalm 46. An unshakable God. Our God, unshakable. This week, we're going to speak about the kingdom, the unshakable kingdom. It's the kingdom that, that our God presides over. He's the king over this kingdom. But before we do that, let's pray together. Father, as we bow our heads and homes all around South Africa and even other countries, we want to praise and thank you for the trial which shakes us to see that you alone are the one in whom we place our trust. Father, this morning we come again and submit our lives under your word We do not judge your word. Your word speaks to us. We respond to it and we ask that you would open our ears to hear you rightly this morning. We love you and we praise you and we ask you to speak practically into our lives. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen and amen. So let's talk about this unshakable kingdom. I'm going to give you a little bit of context and then I'm going to ask you, in your groups or with your family to read Exodus chapter 19. But let me just tell you a little bit about what's going on. You see, the Israelites have been in captivity for over 400 years in a land called Egypt. And God comes and through mighty acts and mighty power, He delivers them. And the the best estimates are that over a million people, left Egypt with the Israelites, that this was this huge group of people that now moved out into the desert. Now, you need to think that this people had not governed themselves. They had no laws. They had no judicial systems. And so God comes and in an act of kindness says to them as a nation, I'm going to give you laws to govern you. I'm going to teach you how to respond to the poor. I'm going to teach you how I want to be worshipped. I'm going to put judicial laws in place. And all of these laws are called the Mosaic laws because they come through Moses. Right? And so now this huge group of people have come to an actual mountain called Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God tells their leader, Moses, Moses, I'm going to come down and I'm going to meet with the people. I want you to get them ready. But Moses, you need to know... That they can't touch this mountain. Even if an animal or a person touches this mountain, they're going to die because of the holiness of God. And so that Moses cleanses or purifies these people. And on day three, you're going to pick up and you're going to read together. So in Exodus chapter 19, pick up at verse 16 and read through to verse 19. And then we'll come back together. So just pause the video and read that either on your own or with your family, or even if you're connecting digitally, connect quickly digitally and read this passage together. And so that's a, when you read that, that's a, that's a pretty scary picture, right? Smoke billowing everywhere, fire coming down on top of the mountain. It's no wonder it says everyone in the camp I tremble. There's these loud trumpet blasts. And you can you can imagine the scene. But the crazy part is, is that if you, if you carry on reading the narrative in just under two months from now. You'll see that the Israelites who here are receiving the word of God and, and seeing him. Seeing him upon the mountain and, and trembling in fear before him. They go and build a golden calf and they begin to worship that golden calf. Cough. and Deuteronomy 9 which is like a parallel to this Exodus 19 text we see that that God wants to destroy the whole nation of Israel and Moses has to mediate for them he's like a type of Jesus that mediates for us later on but Moses has to mediate and beg God not to destroy these people of, of Israel and I think I think we love to sit here and think man you stupid israelites i would i would never i just want to i just want to confess this morning that i know myself and in my moments of honesty when i think this through i know that i would have i would have been just like these israelites and in fact i'm i'm actually even going to be bold enough to say that i think that you would have too because i know human nature and all of us are are shot through with this right i mean this is effectively the, the story of the Old Testament. There's, it's, a, it's a story of the unending drama of God rescuing His people. God sending a Messiah type figure. It might be King David. It might be Esther or Deborah or, or Ezra or Nehemiah. But He sends some rescuing prophet or king. And there's this great rescue. But it doesn't take long. And then the people slip back again again. Into sinning, and it seems inevitable that they go back into sin. And there's this anticlimactic feel to the whole of the Old Testament, where you think, "Is is this the new Exodus? Is is this when God's going to restore His people and His nation?" And then they you realize, "Oh no, they sin again." And it's this really, if, if we're honest about it, it's this crashing system. And so, through the Old Testament, we be We begin to hear these beautiful tones of prophetic declaration that there's a new kingdom coming. That there's a new Messiah, a new king who's coming, who would reign forever and ever. He wouldn't be a temporary reign like David or like Solomon but his reign would go on forever and ever we read in Ezekiel 36 about this this new covenant where there'd be a new heart placed inside of us that our our old heart of stone would be taken out and a new heart of flesh Would be put in and something of this awakens in us, this incredible desire for this heart. We're like, yes, take out that old stone heart. I know it doesn't work. I know it's prone again and again to sinfulness. I need a new heart. And there's these tones from the prophets of a new kingdom, of a new covenant, of a new king whose name would be Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. God come to dwell with us. And if you carry on reading, you'll see as the narrative progresses, Jesus comes. And as he comes, he declares himself to be God's son. He says, a new kingdom is here. I'm ushering in a new kingdom and I'm the king. Now, as we turn to Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews is busy reflecting on all these things. He has all Exodus 19, Deuteronomy 9. He has all these things in his mind and he knows about Jesus. And so Hebrews chapter 12 verse 18 to 24. Let's read that together. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. To darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. Because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so as you as you read that text in Hebrews 12. You realize immediately that the author is drawing straight out of the, the Exodus 19 narrative. That that's what he has in mind. That that first mountain that he's speaking about is exactly the same mountain. That terrifying, uh, fire-filled, smoke-billowing mountain that's spoken about in Exodus 19. But then he introduces the second mountain, and it's very clear that it's a completely different place, Mount Zion. And this is a mysterious mountain that he begins to speak about in Hebrews chapter 12. So what I'm going to ask you to do is pause the video for a discussion and here's the question it's going to come up on the screen but the question is what are the primary differences that your group or your family or uh, that you see between these two mountains what are the big differences between those two mountains and so let's Talk together this morning about some of the key differences. There's there's four that I would love to highlight. Hopefully, you've pulled these out in your groups already, but I'd love to just talk into them a little bit. And the first one is this: that the the first mountain in this Hebrews twelve passage, the the Mount Sinai that the Israelites were at, is is very outward, and it's very visible. They, if, if we read together in verse eighteen, you have not come to a mountain that that can be touched. It's burning with fire. You can hear the, the, the trumpet blast. There's darkness. There's gloom. There's storm. There's, there's speaking of words from God. It's a very outward and visible mountain. But the second mountain is not outward at all. It's rather something that's experienced inwardly. And it's it's not visible it's not like an earthly physical thing it's it's spiritual and you see this in verse 22 and and as you carry on reading it's it's the city of the living god it's the heavenly jerusalem have you ever touched that have you ever heard that it's thousands upon thousands of angels and joyful assembly he says you have come to god the judge of all to the spirits Of the righteous made perfect. I mean you go and tell your friend. These things that you've. The new Jerusalem spirits. And and they're going to think you're crazy. Why? Because this kingdom. The second kingdom. Is inward. And spiritual. Rather than something that you see and touch in a sense. Or that you can find absolute Proof for, and why is this, why is this so important? Well, I think it's so important because we're so, so much more comfortable, even in our, in our religious expression, right? We're so much more comfortable with something we can, we can handle or touch or something outward or visible. So even our religious expressions, we learn to look the part. We learn to behave in a certain Christian way. So we change our moralistic look or our behavioral look. At least we do in public, right? Often we know that there's this huge disconnect between what we see and what's actually going on in our hearts. And then when we when we sin in the outward kingdom, we feel at Mount Sinai, we feel deep guilt and and fear and shame. And in some warped sense, it almost... Is gratifying to us that we feel such condemnation when we sin. Because it allows us to feel that if we beat ourselves up enough. Then somehow we are contributing to our saving. Does that make sense in some weird way? But, but to, just, to just take my sin, my brokenness, my addiction to whatever it may be. My inability not to control my lust. Or any other sin that we could put on the table. Our anxiety and to place that all on Jesus. And just have him deal with that, and that that doesn't seem fair to let him pay for it. And and the writer of Hebrews holds up these two mountains, and he says, "Man, you you can, if you if you'd understood Mount Sinai, and you'd been there, and you'd felt that terror, and you knew what it felt like to be under the bondage." of the law. You can trust in yourself. You can trust in your earthly props. You can trust in your ability to try and get to God and somehow please him on your own. But man, it is an outward and visible mountain and expect it to shake. It's going to shake. Or you come to Mount Zion and Mount Zion, we place our trust in Jesus we placed our trust in his promises, in his kingdom and the things that are inward and spiritual and difficult to explain to our friends and difficult to know. Have we have we really experienced the, the singing of thousands of angels? Well, not yet, but almost quite. We're nearly there. We, we, it's like we've been adopted into his family, but we aren't quite in eternity with him yet. But what we do know is that when we come to that mountain, we're unshakable. We're unshakable. Markets can crash, health can decline, family can reject us. We're unshakable. The second beautiful truth that we need to take from this Hebrews text is that our gospel is not a fear-based gospel. We don't come to a God fearfully wondering if we've ever done enough, as many other religions do trying to climb up a ladder and then sinning and falling our way back down the ladder and trying again and, and eventually giving up because we realize it's completely futile, trying to somehow prove our righteousness. No, we, we don't come to some fear-based, judgment-based gospel. Instead, we come to a gospel full of grace, full of kindness. We see the ministry of Jesus on earth is, is marked out by His kindness and grace and forgiveness over the most despicable people. We come to a joy-filled angel singing, new Jerusalem, a new heaven. That's what we come to, not a fear-based gospel. This is good news, not scary news, good news. Thirdly, the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion is that in Mount Zion, in our new kingdom, we long to hear the voice of the Father, but in the old kingdom, we don't want to hear him. We don't want to hear from him. Listen to what it says in verse 19. Such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. They begged, don't speak to us, God. Just speak to Moses. Just speak to Moses. We don't want to hear your voice. But in the new kingdom, in Mount Zion, we have come. It says in verse 23, you have come to God. I have come to God, Paul Hodson, whatever your name is, you can come to God, to all the spirits of the righteous made perfect. In other words, those who have gone before us who are already with him, they've already been made perfect in heaven and those declared perfect here as we gather as a church, even through technology. And then verse 24, we come to Jesus, the mediator, the negotiator, just like Moses was negotiating in Deuteronomy 9 for the people of Israel and saying, God, please don't destroy them. So Jesus has mediated a new covenant for us. What joy, church, what joy is ours? One hope, what joy is ours that we get to come to this and then and then the hearing of his voice is not just in some cheap thrills kind of way like I heard God's voice I heard God's voice no no we, we hear it in order to obey that's how we know that we are maturing in our walk with him that when we hear him it's not just the excitement it can it's wonderfully exciting to hear his voice I don't want to take that away but it's not just that we hear his voice it's that we say yes Lord what would you have me do and the fourth big difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion and these two mountains is that little verse it says to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and we, we come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel? It speaks a better word. Now, what does that mean? See, the blood of Abel is straight out of the story in Genesis of Cain and Abel, the first brothers. And Cain got so angry with his brother Abel that he kills him, that he kills him in a field. And then if you go and read in Genesis, I think it's chapter three, it says that his blood cries out. God says to him, Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And then Cain is cursed. And then Cain is is banished. And and he says, my punishment is too great for me. And so we see that we see that Abel, the blood of Abel, this is, this is how you see it. Abel was, was killed by a violent man, his own brother. But his blood cried out and it cried out for justice and it cried out for judgment and it cried out curses upon him and it cried out punishment upon him and it cried out banishment. And then we compare that to the blood of Jesus, which Hebrew says speaks a better word. It speaks a better word. And Jesus too, just like Abel, was killed by violent men who were supposed to be his brothers. He was killed by violent men. But his blood, instead of demanding justice, demands forgiveness. Instead of demanding judgment, proclaims mercy and freedom for the sinner. Instead of declaring that they are cursed, he declares us blessed. Even on the cross, Jesus is declaring these things. As as they are killing him, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they are doing. Please have mercy. Have forgiveness. Bless them instead of cursing them. Instead of the punishment that Abel's blood demanded, Jesus' blood demands our pardon. Instead of the banishment that Cain had to face, we are ushered into eternal Acceptance. Come come in. You should be banished. But come. Come in. And Jesus is judged that we may be set free. He is charged for sins that he did not commit. The sins that I committed so that I don't have to pay what I owe. I deserve isolation and banishment from God forever. He gives me eternal acceptance and life with God Forever and ever on a new Mount Zion. A new city, Jerusalem. Let me ask you. Which city, which kingdom, which mountain are you coming to this morning? Where are you? Are you coming to the outward and the visible and placing all your trust there? Even if that's religion and your ability to perform in a Christian way or to follow a set of rules. That's all outward. Or are you coming to a kingdom that's inward and that's spiritual? Where what you believe inside matters more? Where your relationship with God matters more? Are you coming, the second point I made, to a fear-based gospel? Are you coming, thirdly, to hear His voice, to long to hear His voice? Or are you afraid to hear His voice? And are you coming to the blood of Abel, which demands judgment and vindication? Or are you coming to the blood of Jesus, which declares already forgiven, mercy, forever and ever? So we're going to pause the video again. And I'm going to ask you to a question and two, two responses, depending on where you're at this morning. The question is this. Think about your faith. As we're just speaking through these Points. Which, which of the two mountains would better describe the faith that you're living in right now? Quite a provocative question, right? And then in response, if you're a Christ follower, can I ask you to gratefully pray and thank God that he made a new way? That he gave us a new mountain, that we have a new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ that speaks a better word. But I'm also aware that that some of you might not yet be Christ followers. Today could be your day. Right? Even on camera, sitting in your lounge. No one's going to ask you to put your hand up and you've got to feel awkward. Right now, today, you might not have trusted Christ as your Savior. Why not pray and ask Him to show you that if what I'm talking about from the Word of God, if that's true. I believe with all my heart what the Scripture says. That when you seek, you will find. When you knock... The door will be open to you. And so I want to encourage you to seek and ask and just pray. What can you lose? Just pray boldly and say, God, would you show me if this is true? And so as we reach the end of our time this morning, let's read this last section of Hebrews. So let's go from verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, kids... If you if you have any kids over the age of two or so when they start to talk, one of the first things, and one of the most annoying things they will do is they'll ask you over and over again, are we nearly there yet? Whenever you're on a journey, are we nearly there? And so I, I made our point number five: Are we nearly there yet? Because I think that something of why children ask that question is because I think God's placed This deep question in all of our hearts. Are are we nearly there yet, God? Are we nearly there? And C.S. Lewis has this beautiful quote. He says, If I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, I can only conclude that I was not made for here. And something in us resonates with that when we when we look around and we see all around us such brokenness such sin such death and decay and virus and and financial loss or whatever it may be and all the things we hope and will crumble and there's some deep groaning inside of us that that cries out lord are we nearly there are we nearly there yet lord and i wish i could tell you that this is the last virus that i that the world will face i wish this is this would be the last crisis, but it says so clearly, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, which is a quote from the Old Testament. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaking, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. And so the truth of the word of God is that It will continue to shake right until this age when we rush it into the glorious kingdom. Friends, don't believe the hyper charismatic faith preachers out there who are cursing this thing and binding this thing and saying no one in their congregation is going to get it. It's not from the Bible. The Bible says it's going to get worse. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars and you're going to hear about more earthquakes. And it's all indicating as scripture teaches us. That there's a glorious day coming, but we're living in the not yet there. Are we nearly there yet, God? Because all around us, we see brokenness and pain. But 2 Corinthians, there's so many verses, but this is the one that I, I just chose to read over us this morning as an encouragement. He says in verse 16, 2 Corinthians 4, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day, not the outward, but the inward. This is what we look to. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Hallelujah. Beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so I'll leave you with this question this morning. Which kingdom do you choose? Now that applies to those who follow Christ as much as to those who don't follow Christ. If you don't follow Christ this morning, let me ask you, which kingdom do you choose? You can place your trust in these temporal earthly things. But surely as they are being shaken around you now. You are reaching out and saying there must be something more than this. Ask. Seek. Knock. The door will be opened. That is the promise of the word of God. That he will reveal himself to those who reach out to him. And then if you are a Christian. This is not just talking about the kingdom that you will choose for eternity. It is also talking about how we live In this kingdom, we are called to live differently. Where will your trust be placed? Where is it placed? Let this shaking show you how will you live out your life? It's easy to see which kingdom we're living our life in. Are we, are we generous? Are we joyful? Are we full of, of God's life? Are we coming to this new Jerusalem or do we live in a religious, judgmental, the blood of Abel kind of way? What do our lives show? The watching world. And so, as I began speaking about how the world is shaking. And how that touches our faith. And how our faith begins to shake. I want to finish off with an encouragement to us. Don't waste the the shaking and the suffering that God is putting us through right now. Don't waste it. Let me tell you a story as we finish. I had a dear friend. We, Kate and I, had a dear friend. Her name was Estelle Duplessis. And about two and a half years ago, she died from cancer and we went to see her just a few days before she died and if any of you have lost someone in this state it's it's awful she was emaciated nurses all over the place and a drip and a a puke bucket and all of all of this terrible effects of 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 sickness on our lives here on earth and on her bedside table and this i'll never forget was a book don't waste your suffering and i remember turning to her just incredulous and saying Estelle, you, the doctors are saying you're a few days away from death. What are you reading this for? She said, Paul, I don't want to waste one moment. Let the suffering sanctify me and redeem me and make me even more ready for my Savior. And a few days later, she passed away and went into this glory that we're busy describing here. And my, my challenge to us, my encouragement to us is don't waste what God is doing. Ring it out for everything we can. Eek out of it every lesson we can. And say, God, show me how to place my trust in you and you alone. Let me pray for us as we finish. Father, thank you for this time that we could have this morning, even sitting in our lounges. For those who don't know you, God, I pray... Even as we watch in our TVs in our home. That you would come and so arrest hearts that they would come to know you. Put a desire in them for this kingdom. This are we nearly there yet kingdom. Father for those of us who live. That's all the rest of us with sin in our lives. And a duplicity in the way that we live. And what we say we believe. And what we really value. Versus what we see in these moments we actually value. God, I want to pray that you'd come and rearrange our priorities. That you'd shake in a powerful and meaningful way. That our lives would look completely different when this is over. Come and be God. We ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Friends, thank you for joining us. Use this time wisely. I encourage you to come back and join us again next week. Join our midweek life groups. If you aren't part of one, go on our website. Sign up for one. God bless you and we'll see you again next week.